Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our 90s celebration, even though I know VH1 premiered in 1985. It launched January 1st, 1985. But for some reason, I consider VH1 a lot more 90s than 80s. And so I'm sticking with that. Carla is nodding her head, so she's agreeing with me. So I'm sticking with it that this is still part of our 90s celebration. So if you don't know what VH1 is, I... That's very weird to me, but hey, maybe you just... <laughs> if you don't know what VH1 is, like, go back to your crayons, because obviously you're a child. Crayons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I have to do some stuff sometimes at work where I am using, where I'm coloring, so hey, <laughs> it's called crafting. Okay, fine, Erin. Crafting time. <laughs> uh, but the channel was originally conceived to build upon the success of sister channel MTV by playing music videos targeting a slightly older demographic than MTV by focusing on the lighter, softer side of popular music. <laughs> I love how that's worded. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it also played like they would do like videos. Like I remember seeing Doors videos on VH1 and stuff like that too. But like MTV, VH1 ultimately drifted away from music videos and into reality television programming, albeit with a focus on music personalities and celebrities and shows targeting Black audiences. VH1 is best known for franchises such as Behind the Music, the I Love series, the Celeb Reality Block, Love and Hip Hop, and RuPaul's Drag Race. As of January 2016, so this is you know, almost seven years old. So, you know, who knows now? Approximately 90.2 million U.S. households received VH1. So this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about that lighter, softer side of popular music. <laughs> I love that. The lighter, softer side. Oh, okay. That me. It's like the adult contemporary <laughs> of video stations of all two of them. The, the elevator time. music side of... <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're going to be talking about VH1. Someday we will do an MTV episode. I just preferred VH1, and so I preferred doing an episode on VH1 first, frankly. Anyway, but before we dive into VH1 and talk about how much I love VH1, or don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> I had to say that. Carla, what are you into right now? Well, thank you for asking, Erin. What I'm into right now is the movie Bedazzled because it is a delight. It is, I I rewatched it, you know, ostensibly for podcast prep, but mostly because I just really love that movie. It's it's good, cheesy, fun. It's Brendan Fraser, Elizabeth Hurley, um, Orlando Jones is in it, and there are other people in the movie who's who also have names. <laughs> and they also play characters. On the movie, much like Brendan Fraser, Elizabeth Hurley, and Orlando Jones do. And it's great fun. I think it's a really actually sweet movie. It has some of my best, some of my, my favorite Brendan Fraser all-out moments. Just going bananas and, and being super silly and also being super vulnerable. And it's just a, an ooey-gooey mess. But... I also have a special shout out to Gods and Monsters because it's exactly like Bedazzled. It's just, you know, 100% like it. <laughs> They're so similar. They're so similar. But it's like I I, I actually ended up rewatching it um, after we recorded the Brennan Fraser episode. Because I was like, oh, I just I haven't seen that in so in so long. It's it's so good and it still like breaks my heart every time. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. Yes. So that Brendan Fraser episode is coming out next. So everybody knows to wrap up our nineties celebration. Yes, he still does stuff, but you know. Well, and I do want to say we were supposed to have Tiff on, but unfortunately Tiff can't make it. So very sad that Tiff can't be on here. Yes. We miss so you, shout Tiff. Out to you, Tiff. Um, but Tiff is going to be returning next week and for two episodes. So Tiff will be back. Uh, so what I'm into, and I also am using this as a segue to talk about the streaming service this is on, because there's some very sad stuff going on with this streaming service right now. But A Wounded Fawn is on Shudder right now, and it's a terrific, wonderful horror movie starring favorite of the pod, Mr. Josh Rubin. It also stars Sarah Lind, who we did an interview with. Please go listen to that. She's terrific, and I loved interviewing her. Uh, and it's written, co-written and directed by Travis Stevens, and it's on Shudder. Well, Shudder right now <laughs> laid off a bunch of people that were big, big it, as far as like Shudder's creative team you know, Shudder is known. There's this wonderful article. Let me go to my Twitter to find it. Remember who wrote it? And it's a great article about why Shudder is such an important streaming service um, for fans of horror, but also for people in horror, people who make horror, people who don't always get their voices out there. Um, it's the representation that they have on Shudder is pretty amazing, which, and, and you know, they, they reached like this huge monument of um, monumental number of subscribers. I can't remember what it was. And so it's just really bizarre to me that it's part of the AMC network. So they are looking to cut stuff and this is where they go after. And they cut 
some amazing people from that team got laid off recently. So it's it's really, really sad. But That is uh, so sad. Yeah. There's a wonderful, wonderful article on SlashFilm.com. I retweeted it, so it's on our Twitter profile uh, by BJ Colangelo. I apologize. Um, And it is all about why Shudder, it's called Why Shudder is So Vital to the Current Horror Landscape. And I highly recommend reading that. So if you have not gotten a Shudder subscription yet, I'm pleading with you, especially if you are a horror fan, even if you're not, if you are a fan of, you know, services that are going to give a lot more representation where it's needed and give chances to people and give great original content and all this stuff, please, please go get a Shutter subscription. I mean, it's like, you know, six bucks a month. It's not that much. And you get amazing, terrific content. I think, still think it's one of the best streaming services out there. And fingers crossed that this doesn't mean what a lot of people right now are dreading that it means. So I don't want to say it because I don't want to put that out there, but I wanted to recommend that film because I wanted to be able to give a voice out there to say, please, please go watch Shudder and everything and go read that article because it's really, really good. Yeah, I'm not a huge horror fan myself, but I love Shudder. It has some great documentaries about horror. Mm -hmm. So you... You get, um, you know, without the the jump scares and with all of the without all of the the things that might put you off from horror, but it has some some really great documentaries. It has some films that are suspense suspenseful and you know thriller type of movies. It's not strictly you know gore slash etc. It has all kinds of uh, films that just happen to fall under the horror genre, and it has programming and representation that you you're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, like I'm thinking yeah. of of Scream Queen, and I'm thinking of um, horror. Uh, what is it? Horror noir. Yes, horror noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, you, you have to check those out. You have to check those out. They're so good. Yeah, and there was a recent one, um, queer for fear or queer queer. It's the history of queer cinema. I mean, queer horror, and you know, it's a lot of that. And they also curate a lot of titles that you're not going to be able to find other places. So. It's great. And they, you know, they make it very easy to find stuff. They have great original programming, great original films. They have a new one that's coming out that's a really, really independent horror movie. And now I can't remember the name of it, so I apologize. And they're giving a voice to these people who made this independent film that ended up getting pirated. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to pirate really, really indie films where people are not making a lot of money, I think that's really shitty behavior, frankly. And people were pirating this movie. And so Shudder got the movie, took the movie, and is releasing it. And part of the reason they're doing that is to prevent all the pirating. So, you know. That's awesome. There are not a lot of, of, of not even just streaming services. There are not a lot of studios and just places that care at all. It's like, oh, too bad. But the fact that they're doing that is really, is really wonderful. And, you know, there's not enough wonderfulness out there. Yeah, exactly. And especially in that in this in that industry. So please, please go support. Okay, well, let's get into VH1. And what I first want to know, Carla, since this was conceived as playing music, targeting a slightly older demographic by focusing on the lighter, softer side of popular music. (laughs) I'm never going to get over that. I know. Same. It's it's just like the most ridiculous way of saying it. You know, it's. but yeah, I, I think that they that they did kind of do that. It, it, but 
it's not so much that it's like softer side because that's kind of silly. They just, I think, um, geared their video selection more towards uh, like just adults, you know, where MTV was mostly geared towards teenagers and young adults. This was geared more towards older adults and, um, you know, people in their like maybe early 30s. Because they also had like a lot of of nostalgic things in there. They had a lot of revisiting older bands and videos and and things like that, which I thought was really was really cool. And I actually enjoyed VH1 more for the most part than MTV because uh, it it just had more music that that I enjoyed because I've always been an elderly lady. <laughs> mature. Um, mature mature yes i am mature um but the but also the the when they started doing more reality tv stuff that reality tv stuff appealed to me more than mtv's reality tv stuff mm-hmm yeah i agree and, I, and like i've mentioned before i've never been a big video music video person I know that's that was a big thing for my generation, but I just never have, which is kind of surprising since I love music so much and I love movies. And but there are music videos that I do love, but I liked the music that they played on VH1 more because it it did it spoke to me a little bit more. Um, I also loved that they played so much stuff from like the '60s and stuff like that too. Since like Carla, I was into that, especially the Doors. I would always get excited when a Doris video would come on. <laughs> and yeah. then I and then I loved pop-up video. Oh, that was my favorite. Me too. Pop-up video was genius. It was absolute yes. genius and I think that that's something that that it didn't get me into cuz I I enjoyed some music videos just not a lot of them, but I definitely watched a lot more music videos through pop-up video because you're getting trivia about, you know, the artists and what's going on in the video, the inspiration for the song, just like all kinds of random things. And then just like really silly things that they would throw in there that I just thought was hilarious. And I think that was like an absolutely brilliant format. I don't know why it didn't, you know, get as popular as I think it should have. But I know because everybody I know loved it. Yeah, Everybody yeah. I loved it. But it seemed to go away fairly quickly. It, it seemed mm-hmm. kind of fairly short-lived. And I was like, how in the world? This is the best thing ever. But yeah, I, I really, I, I got so much more insight into into artists and into, you know, songwriting and, and you know, it, it also cleared up some lyrics for me. <laughs> yes, me too. They would do that. That happened a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I love that. yeah but yeah I, the other like you were saying about the videos from like the 60s and 70s and, th- and things like that uh so this was like the 90s and in the 90s you still have the you know supposed oldies stations playing stuff from from the 50s 60s and 70s so I think that there were a lot of us who were in the car with our parents as they're listening to the songs from their youth Mm-hmm. And it's just neat to be able to see it on a on a on a video station. Like, oh, I heard the song in the car with my dad the other day, you know. And and just you know, you get into it yourself. 
I think if you have like a, the influence of, of people who are older in your life, who, who enjoy music and listen to music a lot, or even if you're just, you know, you, you get into a genre and then you start to find other stuff like their inspiration and everything. So it was really, it was really nice. I, I just really enjoyed having the access to that and not only having to see videos that are, well, that were at that point fresh and new because at some point, mm-hmm. like they all kind of started to look alike, especially when you get to, okay. Yeah. So when you get to like the Fiona Apple slash Nirvana era of music videos and they all have like that sickly green tint to them. They did. You're right. <laughs> and everybody looked unwashed and unwell. And you just feel like you're catching something from watching those videos. Like you're catching something. <laughs> yes. It's like. That's true. Like, am I getting botulism or it's just the, it's just the video that I'm watching? It's but, true. <laughs> and then you, you, you go and you're like, oh, look, let's watch this doors video. Yay. Now I feel better. Yes. And I remember, though, when I would watch like the Doors video or something like that, I was like, wow, music videos have been around for a long time. (laughs) There's your history lesson, kids. Yeah, which wasn't really the case. (laughs) But yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, Pop-up video is just, you know, if you don't know what pop-up video was, we kind of said a little bit, but it was you'd watch a video and it would pop up with little facts randomly throughout. And it was so cool. It was just really interesting. It was fun. It was entertaining. It made me love videos and appreciate videos when I wasn't really necessarily a big fan at the time. So I, I loved that show so much. And it, they should bring it back. But do they even make music? I know they make music videos. But I mean, you know, <laughs> they're not as, you know, now these stations don't play music videos really. So it's like. Right. Well, it, that's one, that's one uh, thing I think with with streaming is that there's there are so many streaming options and the the great thing about the the great thing about you know when we grew up and we were watching a lot of stuff is that a lot of things were more centralized and yes it's nice to have so many options especially because we do have more chances of seeing um more interesting representation or just you know people who are not just straight white christians on tv mm-hmm. but on the other hand, because you had more focused interest in certain things, you could have something like pop-up video. And I just don't know where that could flourish. Like, I, I can see it maybe on, like, YouTube or TikTok or something. Definitely TikTok, I think. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I missed pop-up video. Like, that was one of the best things to ever come out of the the VH1 MTV era. I agree. Bring it back, somebody. Listen, please yes. i'll watch it yes yes please. the two of us will watch it isn't that enough <laughs> that's all the ratings you need just the two of us yes just the two of us watching pop-up tv just the two of us pop-up tv <laughs> <laughs> i love that you did the pop there uh, <laughs> Well, the other big thing, and um, this should surprise nobody, I would think, this was actually my absolute favorite thing from VH1, and that was Behind the Music. And Behind the Music, which is actually back if you have Paramount, which you can find a lot of VH1 shows on Paramount or Hulu, Um, all the I Love The, or you can find on YouTube, most of them, or at least that I could find. But Behind the Music was a documentary television series 
on VH1, and each episode profiled and interviewed a popular musical artist or group. The program examines the beginning of their career, their road to success, and the hardships they may have encountered. There were always jokes that every single one basically was the same formula, where you had a music band rise from nothing, they'd become and then successful, drugs. and then drugs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or some terrible accident too, and yeah. all this horrible stuff would happen, and they would overcome that and become what they are today, or someone would tragically die, or something like that, you know. Yeah. So they yeah. all kind of followed that that formula, but spoiler, I, I loved this show so so much. So, Carla, what were your overall thoughts on Behind the Music, and do you have any favorite episodes? Oh, my gosh. I adored Behind the Music because, you know, like, growing up, I really wanted to be in entertainment in some way or another. And I was really steeped into in, in the whole entertainment um, everything. Like, I, I read Entertainment Weekly back when it first mm-hmm. came out, and it was actually about the industry and it was about you know like what happens behind the scenes and you know how people are getting cast and it it, i think it focused more on the making of of stuff instead of just like what it is now which is kind of like a um a slight step up from people was just about celebrities but that's the appeal of behind the music is that not just the the you know the titillation and the sensationalism but that you're getting a lot of of knowledge of how these people found their moment and and how they found each other if they're a group just what the ingredients that it took to make them who they were to make them notable enough to get a behind the music episode in the first place and i really liked I, I just I, I loved everything about it. It was it was uh, it was fun to watch. It was interesting as hell. You got interviews with these people. Um, you found out things that you may not have really been aware of, and you're hearing it from their mouths for the most part. And I think that that's and of course, like a lot of that is curated because they're they're not going to necessarily lay every single thing out for you. Like it's it's. They'll tell you what they can or what they feel like they can get away with without making themselves look bad. Mm-hmm. Which, like, for example, like, I, I think of the, the, the Depeche Mode one, where it's kind of like that. But I, I had, I don't know, I, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. I would watch it endlessly. And I have so many favorites, but I'm going to, like, whittle it down. <laughs> Here are my top fifteen. <laughs> top fifteen. <laughs> I mean, obviously the, the Bon Jovi one because I love. I was bon like, Jovi. if she doesn't mention Bon Jovi, I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that one. You know, Bon Jovi has a big place in my heart, and I love learning how how because it started off really young. They were like, um, John was in in high school, and when he started kind of like hustling to get into the music industry and how they found each other, how they rose to success, their, their friends. And this is before Richie Sambora left Bon Jovi. Like I haven't watched the newer one, so I don't know if they revisited it or not, but this is before Richie left. And you, you get to, to know more about what makes them work, what difficulties they, they have with each other, with 
with the music industry. Um, it's like where I first found out that um, that John was wasted when they recorded uh, Wanted Dead or Alive because they they were just working so hard they were overthinking it and so i think it was like the producer was just like here just have a bunch of alcohol and then it's like okay go record and it just came out perfect so that's one um another one was the Millie vanilli one because i know like one. yeah i i know that like it's this whole sensational story of you know they're they're scammers and cheaters but you really get a more nuanced perspective on it because the it was the the producer who was really scamming both them and the actual singers. They were telling the the singers that, you know, like you're you're gonna become so famous or whatever, just let's go and record. And they took those vocals and gave them to these much more attractive guys who really wanted to to sing. They 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 were also singers, but they um they were I think from Germany. And they have a really difficult, a really difficult time making it in the industry. And then along comes this guy and, and he's like, we'll eventually let you re-record these with your own voices. But for now, we're just going to do it this way just to, you know, um, get your foot in the door. And just the, the tragedy that came after, the, the depression, the just where they ended up. So I, I think that for all that people make fun of Milli Vanilli, I think if you find out more about what actually went on behind the scenes or behind the music, you you come to sympathize with them a little bit more. You get to see them more on a human level. Another one that I really liked was the Creed one. And yes, I know. Okay. Like this is the second time no, I've I said agree. this word, but it was, it was a really good perspective on, on how these are kids from like i think it was clearwater the same place where um jim morrison was from and scott stapp has this beautiful voice and mark tremonti is so incredibly talented and um scott i forget his last name who is the drummer they they formed this band and they have these songs and especially i think the first record my own prison was so good was so good they had so many i think really fantastic songs but they take you through through their journey as artists and as as people and you see that like it like it happens with so many behind the music um episodes is that it really humanizes these people that are either you know industry scapegoats or laughing stocks at some point or you know and you 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 get to see that these are just humans kind of doing the best they can you know, so I, I really I appreciated that about behind the music as well. Just, you know, seeing these people just be human and kind of tell you, yeah, I really sucked at that point in my life. <laughs> That's what I appreciated so much about this series is so many of my favorite ones weren't necessarily even artists that were like my favorite artists. It was just so fascinating to me because I love music so much, as everybody knows. And, you know, and I've always loved the industry as well. And so hearing all of that and hearing, you know, all these true artists and what drives them, what motivates them and their struggles and a lot of them being very vulnerable. And yes, a lot of it is curated. And of course, you know, a lot of their representatives are probably like, we're not going to talk about this. We will talk about that, that kind of stuff. So yes, it is curated, but it still always felt so real and honest to me. And even though it always seem to follow a formula. 
that's just the way kind of life is, I think, to a degree. So it just kind of showed that everybody was human. And it gave me such a deeper respect for a lot of people that I may not have even had a respect or any thought at all about. Um, and that's kind of what I'm mainly going to focus with, with with my favorite ones, because like, you know, I could, you know, say Depeche Mode or all these bands that were my favorite bands. But in all honesty, a lot of my favorite ones were those people that I didn't necessarily pay attention to before or didn't have much of, you know, thoughts on or anything like that. Like Def Leppard. Def Leppard was a band that I actually was into for a little bit when I was young. And then when I got older, I was like, oh, I can't stand them. But watching theirs was very, gave me such a deep respect for them as artists and human beings and the different struggles they went through and their drummer, of course, and everything. It it just, it just made me look at the music in a different light and uh, made me really, you know, I'm still not the biggest fan of theirs. There's a couple of songs that I like. But I respect them as artists, and I think they are genuinely – they appear to be genuinely good people and genuinely good artists. So that gave me a newfound respect for them, definitely. Um, Everclear, honestly, Everclear. And <laughs> I know, I know people laugh at Everclear the same way they laugh at Creed, that kind of thing. But, you know, I couldn't stand Everclear. I hated Everclear, and I watched – they're behind the music. And I related so much to the lead singer when talking about, you know, father issues and his dad, who, and a lot of his songs are about his dad and growing up, um, you know, really poor and being around a lot of friends that had a lot of money. And I related to that. And, you know, growing up with a single mother and all that kind of stuff. And, and so watching that and watching him talk about that and watching a man be very vulnerable about that and his feelings and how much he loved and respected his mom and all of that was so attractive to me that I went out and started listening to their music. <laughs> like I had never liked them before. And then I became an Everclear fan for about, it lasted about a day, but <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> thinking about it <laughs> for 24 solid hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, there are a couple other songs that I do still have in my Spotify liked playlist though, just because I do still like them. But that was another reason I appreciated this show is it gave me that respect where I was like, okay, I didn't respect these artists. I laughed at them, but then watching it and seeing where that music came from and what inspired them made me want to. So, and then, see, it's, it's, was really hard. Like with Carla, I could name like a hundred of them. And this one is not necessarily that I got more respect for them, but you will learn in another segment here. I have this weird thing about Brett Michaels. I don't like Brett Michaels. <laughs> I think I think Brett Michaels is kind of a douchebag, okay? But I will watch anything this man does. It is really bizarre. I do not understand it. I He's just watchable. <laughs> I don't so know what it is. He's so magnetic. Yes. He's so entertaining. And so I loved the poison one because he, the reason what cracks me up about Brett Michaels is he takes himself so seriously. Like, not even in a joking way. He really takes himself seriously. And so you does, watch him and it's in so this. Funny. <laughs> yeah, you watch him in this, and he has an, in the new series, he, there's one, and that was the first one I watched, of course. So <laughs> like 
he's still taking himself way too seriously. I mean, he even made a movie. I don't know. Did you know that, Carla? He made a movie about he was a no. he, plays, he plays a death row inmate or something. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds bananas. I'm gonna have to hunt it down because that sounds hilarious. I believe he directed it too, or something like that. I'm gonna. Have to- of course he did. That makes so that totally tracks. <laughs> it's Brett Michaels. It's like you know I you know we'll talk about it in a minute. The reality show on VH1, but there was also the other one he did that was more the softer Family Man side that I loved as well. I don't know what it is about this man because I don't necessarily even think he's like a, like I was watching some of his TikToks the other day. I'm like, why am I watching Brett Michaels TikToks? <laughs> Your algorithm is going to be so messed up now. I know. I'm like, no, no, no. I had a great algorithm going. <laughs> All you're going to get is just Brett Michaels and aging rock stars and from a- now on. <laughs> and aging rock stars. Yeah, so, yeah, so I had to throw that one in there because I had to be real. I had to be honest. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. And I have a thing for him. I, I don't know for watching him. I don't know. I don't like him as a person, but it's, <laughs> it's this weird thing. And I'm glad I'm not really alone in this, but. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually do like Poison. I think they're, <laughs> I mean, I know it's not good music, but I love It doesn't have to be good it. to be enjoyable. Yeah, I love singing at the top of my lungs. Love it, love it, love it. (laughs) The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And speaking of, I love it. Uh, let's get to <laughs> So smooth. I know. Let's get to the I Love The series, which was a series that started with the I Love The 70s, then... I love the 80s, 90s, revisiting the 80s, revisiting the 90s, revisiting the 80s. <laughs> and, and then they also did the 2000s. Then they did I Love Toys. I Love the Holidays. <laughs> right, right. The, and, they went yeah. too far with it. Yes, they went they too did. far with it. And they always had, you know, the commentators and the same people usually ret- return. And those people ended up making jokes on other things about how they were always on these shows. And I remember the message boards, people would hate certain people, certain commentators more than the others. So, Carla, 
Did you have a favorite decade that they covered? And what are your overall thoughts on this show? And then then we can get to the commentator thing. But. I love the 80s came at the perfect time because it, like they, they really started in the, the 2000s. They hit mm-hmm. uh, the 80s, which was just, you know, your target audience is aging. They are becoming full-fledged adults. They are facing responsibilities and they're facing a very scary world because it's just very scary. Like there's, you know, 9-11 happens and then shortly thereafter, like the tanking of the economy, just like a a lot of things. And then you have the soft, safe comfort of looking at your childhood through gauzy eyes and not a lot of responsibility. And that's, I think, what made those series so popular is being able to look back, uh, particularly with the 80s ones, which that the, the first I Love the 80s was my favorite of them. Because it was, I think, like the most pure and sincere of all of them. And you get to look back at the toys that you played with and that, you know, your friends had and you didn't, but you got to go over to their house and play with them. And the music that you grew up listening to, the clothing, like scrunchies and EG socks and the slap bracelets and just <laughs> all kinds of things like that. And it just it, it made for like a um, a softer landing into adulthood. To be to be able to share that nostalgia with a bunch of talking heads on TV and, you know, because it's not like we had Twitter where we could just go and tweet to each other. Oh, did you catch the I love 1984? Wasn't that rad? Wasn't that rad? But you did get to share it with like this panel of of people who kind of spoke for you and you know brought up things that maybe you had forgotten about that was oh yeah i forgot about that that was so cool i love that video i love that song i love that movie so it it was it was like a great bit of nostalgia and when they did the 90s i felt like that's too soon you know like we're just barely out of the 90s i'm not ready to confront them yet it just they they don't feel there wasn't that nostalgic draw for me i still watched it of course because i'm a sucker for that kind of stuff but it just didn't have that that same hit of nostalgia that the '80s one did. When they revisited the '80s, like I, I, I like I said, I still watch like all of the '80s and the '90s ones. But it just felt less satisfying by that point. You know, it's it's just you know when you drink your cappuccino and now you get to to the foam and it's like, all right, well, I guess we're done with this. <laughs> That's a great. <laughs> this is like a mouthful of cinnamon. And you're like, all right, let's put that away. <laughs> You know, give me some water to chase that mouth feel. <laughs> but I still appreciated them for for being the great distraction that they were. They were just cotton candy for the brain. And I I'm so happy that they did them. I'm happy that they're available on, on YouTube to rewatch now. Because, you know, of course, and there's no perfect decade. There's no time in history that somebody wasn't going through something horrible and that is unmarred by by human greed and selfishness. But when you are able to look back at just the, the nice things that you enjoyed about a time period, it is still a relief. It's still just that wonderful feeling of being able to go back and say, like, wasn't that, wasn't that fun? Didn't we have a good time? You know, like, I, I really enjoyed that period of my life. I really enjoyed 
that moment in time where I just felt like everything felt safe and everything felt okay. So just for that reason, it's it still holds up for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, th- this kind of stuff is like catnip for me. It really is this. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. Like CNN did a whole thing that's sort of similar to this as well. That was produced by like, Tom Hanks and stuff, but it took itself a lot more seriously than this did for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have CNN and Tom Hanks. Oh, it's not going to be as fun. Yeah, I mean, it's still got some fun parts to it, but it's not the same, you know, as this. You know, it's interesting because when I rewatched it, I decided to start with the 90s ones because just like you, Carla, when those ones came out, it was just like, oh, that just happened. And even one of the ones I was I was watching, a 1999 one, and one of the commentators was like, well, it's a little bit too soon to be talking. This was only like four years ago. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel old. And it's still, you know, it's still, <laughs> still to me, the 90s still feels like that was just the other day. It does not feel yes. like over 20 years ago. It just doesn't. Like- I don't know why people born in the 90s are drinking now. They're, they're babies. I know. Why people born in the 2000s are drinking now. Oh, like, <laughs> shut up. That's so disgusting. We shouldn't be giving alcohol to infants. I know. It's so weird to me. I do not. <laughs> it, it just is bizarre. I still cannot. I am not interested that. in that piece of, of, I'm not interested in that fact, Erin. <laughs> <know. laughs> but I loved watching, watching him and rewatching him. Like today, although I got to a point where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't watch any more of this because I was binging it hardcore. And one of them that I watched last night actually had the commercials in it. And that was even funnier because it was the commercials from back in the early 2000s. Oh my God. And one of them was like an ad for the Born Supremacy or something. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. It was really hilarious. But but yes, I I am a sucker for nostalgia stuff like this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember those and those toys and that show and that song and that movie. And, you know, certain things would come up and certain songs would start playing and I just start automatically singing them. <laughs> and my sister was watching some of it with me today and she's like, you know, you like every 80s song, don't you? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Just the good ones. I'm like, not every 80s song yet. I'm singing every single 80s song that they start playing. I'm like, I start singing along with it. Even the really bad ones, quote unquote bad ones, uh, I would still get into and sing them. And watching some of the commentators, which we'll get into in a second. But favorite decade, definitely when they came out, was the 80s ones. I That was definitely the favorite. But it was interesting now watching the 90s because even though it still feels like it was just yesterday, it kind of... I don't know. It had a different feel to it watching it this time than when they first came out. But I will say, rewatching this, wow, some of the comments. Oh, my Lord. The homophobia, the transphobia. The the transphobia, the ableism. Oh, oh, my goodness. I was like, oh, I I cringed like so much. I was like, holy crap, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, somebody used like the, the Arsler and I was a like, A few Whoa. times. There were a few episodes yes. where that happened. Like, and, oh. and the whole because like Jay and Silent Bob people we'd go, guys we'd go, we'd turn gay for. We, I was like, right. oh my gosh, I forgot that this was the kind of stuff that <laughs> I don't know how I did, but I was. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think because it didn't really register for us at that point, you know, it's like, I, I know that for me, my personal evolution didn't really start until I joined Twitter. 
you know, like I was very kind of sheltered growing up. So I didn't realize that some of these things that are just horrible things to say are horrible things to say until somebody pointed out, hey, that's a horrible thing to say. And then I'm like, but why? And, you know, you you get to, by being able to be in contact with so many people whose lives are different from your own, whose experiences are different from, from your own, you get a better understanding for why some things are not okay. And again, you know, like we didn't have Twitter to be able to enjoy I Love the 80s together, but we also didn't have Twitter to help educate us on why some things you just don't say and why, um, you know, to uneducate, to what's the word, to re-educate yourself, to unlearn some mm-hmm. toxic and harmful things. So yeah, like looking, like rewatching it now was like such a shock. I know. When I would hear some of those of words, I'd be like, yeah, uh, yeah, because the R word was used quite a few times. And I was just yeah. like, oh, my. And a lot of the the talk, the sexual, like, assault innuendo, basically, yes. was yes. over the top. I was like, oh, my gosh, some of these people need to st- – it was so weird. I'm like, this would never – most of this would be called out so big nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I think is great. Yeah, no, I'm glad because yeah, holy no, but but like that—that's just (laughs) it. I I think like we have benefited so much from first of all from maturing, but also from having access to all of these other um, streams of thought, and we didn't really have that. You know, going back into the whole thing where um, now we have so many more options and so many more um, places from which we're gathering information. And yeah, it was nice to have a more limited uh, selection in a way because it's less overwhelming. But at the same time, having more voices means that you also have more feedback Mm -hmm. and you have more, um, I don't know, like like, um, you you can get a, a better sense of why something is offensive that you didn't think would be offensive because oh, but everybody says it well everybody should stop saying it it's really not that complicated there are other words in the english language yeah and you have more chances to learn and more uh chances to grow and stuff like that so yeah so that was the most shocking part to me rewatching. i was kind of like oh, oh like I, I was like i and i was like i bet i laughed at a lot of this stuff that i'm sitting here like Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, uh, I can't believe I probably was cracking up over some of this stuff. So on that note, a lot of these, most of these commenter, commentators, I would say every single commentator said at least one thing that was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did you have a favorite commentator? Yes, I had I had a, a a couple, but definitely the one that always sticks out is Michael Ian Black. I knew you were going to say just... Michael Ian Black because you're the only other person I know that loves Michael Ian Black. I love Michael Ian Black. So sorry. He's 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 great, and you know, like um, he's one of the few celebrities that I follow on 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 Twitter. I don't really like following celebrities on social media because I don't know. I feel like I don't need to know their thoughts. You know what I mean? Like I'm like I'm I'm good. I, I like him because he he's absurd. And he has a very dry sense of humor and where everybody else is just, you know, throwing out jokes and laughing and whatever. He's saying these things like very deadpan 
And they're hilarious once you realize that he's joking because he does a lot of things that, that you're just like, that didn't happen. Michael Ian Black, why are you why are you mm-hmm. being asked questions when this clearly was not part of what was happening? He's like, no, he's kidding and he's being hilarious. And you just have to appreciate that he's uh funny in a different way from all of these other commentators. I really, I really, really enjoyed him. I really thought that he brought a lot to um to the I love the whatever decade series. And it just like once I got him. <laughs> It made me appreciate his kind of sense of humor more. And I, I'll give a special shout out to Mil Rocca because he was just so cute and funny. And mm-hmm. like much later when he was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And he's just as funny there. And, and he's just, um, he's very quick minded. And I, I, I think that that's, he's quick minded in, in, in an intelligent way. He, he doesn't just, throughout one-liners i think he's just also very thoughtful now not so much during the i love the 80s and 90s thing but i like them but michael ian black i thought he was my my favorite i'm not gonna be like oh i can't mention him because i knew carla would mention michael ian black because like i said i don't know many other people that like michael ian black honestly and especially back when this was on i mean the hate he got when he was on this show Holy moly. I would visit the I'm not the, surprised. I would visit the message boards and people were like, I can't stand that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so obnoxious. But he does have a, just a very different kind of sense of humor. He's very yeah. dry, very dry. And he doesn't laugh while he's telling these right. jokes. So it's like Which I thought was great. That's why I love him. And he used to write yeah. and I would think Carla might be the only other person that would have read these, but he used to have a website and way back around this time. And he would write things like, I'm a very famous person. And he would write yes. these. Like, and they were hilarious. On his Twitter for years, his bio was that, that he was in the NFL, nine years, two rings. And you have no idea how many, like he would tweet something and then somebody would come back and say, who are you even? I've never heard of you. Like, in the NFL and what team? Like, ha, 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 nine years and only two rings. And he would be like, how many rings do you have? <laughs> yeah, people don't don't get it. If, if you don't get yeah. his sense of humor, I can understand why you might not like him. But he, he it's a very, very, very specific brand of humor that doesn't play yeah. to everybody. But I've always loved him. I loved reading all of the, the things, these long things he would write on his website that he used to write that. Yeah. Um, and, and he's just, very thoughtful. He's so smart. Oh, he's in, he's, he's so smart. brilliant. I mean, he has yeah, to be, and to be I, that. That's right. That funny. And so I saw him. I got to, I got to see him live one time um, at at the Improv down here, and he's he's just too smart for South Florida. <laughs> like, <laughs> people did not get his jokes because people here suck. But he's very thoughtful. And he he cares about the world, and he um, wants the world to be a better place, and he is outraged at injustice, and just I, I really really like him, and I, I I to me he brought a lot to to these episodes. I thought he was fantastic. I I get why people may not have have gotten him, mm-hmm. but I think that that if they expanded the the range of their uh of what they think is humor and comedy 
that maybe they would appreciate it more. Maybe, like, I wonder if like some of them are looking back and, you know, rewatching on, on YouTube and being like, oh, now I get it. I would hope so because, no, he's, he's so, so funny. And I, you know, I wish I could find some of those um, essays that he wrote that were hilarious because they were so, so funny. Because it, really the, what it comes down to is he doesn't take himself seriously at all. And I think, but it comes across like he's taking himself seriously. And that's why he's yeah. so funny. And he also does um, a great uh, podcast where they rate snacks with his longtime oh, collaborator. Yeah. Sorry, I have to find it here before. Um, and I don't know if you've ever listened to that. I haven't listened to it in ages, honestly. I still It still downloads in my podcast because I subscribe <laughs> to it, of course, because it's Michael Ian Black. And I've loved him for s- decades now. Uh, and I yeah. was so happy when I found somebody else Carla, who loved him yeah. because I never – most people were like, who the heck is this guy? Well, that breaks my heart. Mike and Tom eat snacks. So that's that's not the collaborator that he usually works with. I'm thinking of somebody else. That's uh, topics with Michael Showwater. Showwater is the person that he works with a yeah. lot who is a director as well and stuff. But but yeah, I, I love Mike Lee and Black. And, and and he also writes books. Yes. Yes, he does. He has a lot of, of, of children's books. He, he, he doesn't have some books for, for grownups, but he he's – Notable for his uh, children's books. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's, he's really, really funny. And when this, when the, uh, I love the was first on, I also was very excited because this was first on around the time when uh, Queer as Folk was airing and Hal Sparks, mm-hmm. of course, is on here because Hal Sparks is a comedian. Rewatching it, I, I, I do want to say he drove me nuts rewatching it. I, I want to be honest <laughs> because. I, I do think there is a comedy special at Hellspark. Hellsparks did uh, for a showtime like about a decade ago or so. That actually is hilarious. Like there's certain things in there. Like he talks about like when you're driving and you see, and this is so true, and you see like a plastic bag on the road and you get so freaked out, especially if you drive over it and it doesn't come out the other end. <laughs> you're like, yes. where did it go? And I'm like, yes, that's so true. <laughs> and it was really a hysterical comedy special. But watching him in this, he tr- to me – he and and this is no offense to him because I would love to have him on the show maybe someday I don't know but because we love queers folk but I don't know he seemed to be trying too hard to be funny yeah and it just kind but of I, nuts. I think that's but but I, I think that that's the truth with like a lot of the commentators I think a lot of them were just trying that's true. too hard and I, again that's part of why I like Michael Ian Black so much is because. You know, I, I'm sure he was trying as hard as the next guy, but his his brand was very like aloof mm-hmm. and very like I don't even care that I'm here. I'm just here to like tell you the facts that you don't know. Yes, yes, and I would love to have you on this podcast. I remember I tried. There was a tweet that he did like a couple of years ago where he's oh, like, yeah. you know, shout out to all the smaller podcasts, and I was like, please, but he never got back to us. But I would love to because I I love I love him so much. So that would be that would be a blast. Maybe we'll do an episode just about Michael Ian Black someday. Oh my god, <laughs> just me and Carla, <laughs> just just you and me gushing about Michael Ian Black all day. Yes, <laughs> here is the four hour Michael Ian Black extravaganza. <laughs> Yeah, because seriously, you don't know how excited I was, Carla, when I learned that somebody else loved him because I could I always struggled to find anybody. Same. <laughs> Same. Like 
and like Michael Liam Black and people are like, who? And I'm like, um, hello, have you not seen like Wet Hot American Summer? He was one of the best parts yes. of that whole movie. Yes. And Paul Rudd was in it, and I so thought he was one of the best parts of the whole movie. Yes, and Bradley Cooper was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I straight up forgot about that guy. <laughs> yay uh yeah we'll have to do that sometime another big thing that happened with vh1 is celeb reality really most of the reality television has to do with celebrities a lot of it started um in january 2005 when they launched their celeb reality programming block of reality shows featuring celebrities anchored by the surreal life which the surreal life premiered actually on the wb the first two seasons. And then the third season was over on VH1. And the third season famously had two people that ended up having their own spinoff. And that was Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen. And they ended up doing their spinoff, Strange Love, which was all about their quote unquote love story. I I, <laughs> I was rewatching this season and I'm like, cause you can watch this on Paramount. And I was like, I don't think they really liked each other. This was all totally. <laughs> <I know. laughs> when I first watched it, I think I thought they did, but I'm like, no, this was all set up. Uh, like most of those things are. And then, of course, they had the celebrity dating shows like Rock of Love. And then was it Fla- Flavor of Love? Was it that? Flavor of Love, I yeah, think. Yeah. And then they had Daisy of Love, which was one of the contestants from Rock of Love. And then they ended up having um, Charm School, which was all these people from the other ones and Sharon Osbourne. Right. <laughs> all these bizarre, bizarre things that just kept going and going. They had My Fair Brady, which was another spinoff from The Surreal Life, which had Christopher Knight and Adrian Curry. So Christopher Knight, of course, from The Brady Bunch and Adrian Curry, who was the first winner of America's Next Top Model. Uh, they had Breaking Bonaducci, which was all about Danny Bonaducci, they had I Love New York, New York Goes to Hollywood, all of that kind of stuff. Um, they had, didn't they have, this was on that, cele- yeah, Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew, which was absolutely disgusting, honestly. Yes. It was such a dis- It was so awful. It was such a dis- Like, I watched, like, two episodes, and I was like, no. It was such a Cannot disgusting, do like, you yes. know, um, tabloid come to life kind of thing. And Dr. Drew is a disgusting human being, in my opinion. But anyway, so we're going to start with the dating shows before we get into what everyone knows my choice. <laughs> so, Carla, did did you, I know you watched these. Did you watch all of them or just some of them? No, I mean, I, I mostly just watched Rock of Love, but most of the of the OK, so the the, the dating show that I really got into it was not a celebrity dating show. It was just a real people dating show called. Um, can't get a date and i really loved it i thought it was like really sweet that in the um, you know they, they just pick some random uggo <laughs> <laughs> wow no, i'm kidding <laughs> they just pick like somebody out there in the world who feels like they don't you know that they'll never find love and you know they they can't figure out why and they they counsel them they give them advice on you know like how to be more approachable and how to have confidence it, so it wasn't just like oh let's give you a makeover and send you to a bar and you know set you up with somebody that we know you're gonna like it, it really felt like a genuine attempt to have people connect and it had the 
the host you didn't see at least the the first season from what i recall you didn't see the host it was just a like a disembodied voice and it was like this this guy's voice the people would talk to the camera and then the the voice would would respond on on the show who knows what voice they were actually listening to but it just it felt so real because these felt like just real normal people who genuinely were were looking for love and genuinely wanted some help from you know this disembodied voice like the voice of god out there just like hello my son <laughs> maybe if you dress nicer <laughs> But I, I really like that show. I'll, I'll leave you to your... Because <laughs> I, I know, I know how, how much that one is just such a big part of your, and of your heart. But I, I guess um, I, I only watch some flavor of love because it just, I don't know, it kind of grossed me out. <laughs> These are all, the celebrity ones are all just so manufactured and so fake. Oh, but... I just really didn't think that any of these women actually cared about Flavor Flav one way or the other. Like they weren't even attracted to him. So like the disgust that I felt was more like on his behalf. Like he is, and I mean, he's a full participant in it. And I'm sure he was aware of, of what was going on, but it just felt like exploiting his quirkiness for views. And I, I just, it icked me out. Yeah, I agree. I could never get into that one as much either. And that was kind of the same way I felt to an extent, even though she was more famous because of being on a reality show. But the Daisy of Love spinoff, which was a spinoff of Rock of Love, felt kind of like that too in a weird way. Like, um, I don't know. It felt kind of like she wasn't in a safe space, if if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I I agree on that. And and you know he he's been in a lot of reality shows, and he was on the I Love the series as well. He, he was on some of them. Yeah. Uh, but he did because he did another one one episode of uh, Celebrity Wife Swap, which was hmm. like the celebrity version of Wife Swap, and he was on one episode. And, you know, and they frustrated with him because he's like a kid and he was like, you know, and it was the same kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever watched any episodes of that, but talk about that wasn't on VH1, but talk about, oh, my gosh, the Corey Feldman one was flipping freaky as oh, holy moly, that was freaky. I've heard about that one. Oh, it was yeah. freaky. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Now we're just gossiping. Exactly. Did you watch that thing? Oh my God. I know. Let me tell you about it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) once again, Brett Michaels, (laughs) I have watched Rock of Love, especially the first two seasons, not so much Rock of Love Bus, because I didn't like that one as much. That one felt like kind of made me nauseous sometimes. (laughs) Some of the episodes, (laughs) some of the people in there, like there was a porn star in there that was like collecting dirty socks and. All this Ew. stuff, and you could tell that she had some kind of mental health issues as well, and mm. it was just kind of like they were playing into that. But Rock of Love, I the first two, I have watched more than once, more than twice, <laughs> <laughs> more than three times probably too. So I didn't watch them again for this because I was like, Aaron, you just watched this when you had because you have them memorized. Because yes. <laughs> I have them memorized, <laughs> and I watched him when I was when I was when I had COVID. I was like, oh, this will cure my COVID. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but 
because it's mindless. But this, I don't know what it is about this one that I was like, I wish there were more seasons of this. <laughs> because, I mean, there's no way in the world you believe that Brett Michaels cares about any of these women at all. Right. I'm sure he slept with most of them, but he doesn't oh, care sure. about any of them. And, but it's just fun to watch kind of a train wreck. And I did have favorites. I did have certain contestants that I liked a lot. Um, on the first season, the girl, Samantha, Sam, who she was kind of a shyer girl and very sensitive and more emotional. And I really liked her a lot. But you had, you know, you had the cat fights and you had the villains of the season and, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And most of the stuff that they would do in there, you could never make a show like this today. Never. This would never (laughs) fly because the way these women are treated, it's basically, you know, I mean, they first walk in there and, you know, they have Big John, the security guy and all that stuff. But they also go into this mansion that's, you know, Brett was never really there. Like there's like a whole podcast, one of these ex-women, Lacey, she does and she talks about, you know, how – different fake it was and all this stuff um wow and and how he would like when they wouldn't be doing this when they would run into when he he would run into him he was just totally like if it was a public event he'd be like oh hi 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 but it was you know that was all it was was just for the public eye which shocker i know i know right (laughs) he seemed like such a genuine guy who just wanted love When he would just, he would welcome them in and he would take like their backstage passes photos and they would all be like, oh. And if you watch it, like especially starting season two, they did like the unaired stuff. So you would actually see the breasts and you would actually see like full everything. And, you know, they would do pictures with their breasts out or do like all this other stuff. Like, let's be this way. And all these, all these young women on there who they would say they knew who he was, but you knew some of these women who were like in their early twenties were like, I have no fucking clue who this guy is. Right. He's here to be on yeah. television. I don't care who this is. And then you would have the people that were more his age that he, I think was probably told to keep around, but had no interest in like at all. And so you could see there was so much misogyny and so much ageism and so much stuff like that going on. But it's entertaining as hell, and I have watched it more than once. <laughs> I I know it's such a sh- it's it's so weird because it goes against no, everything but listen, I dear in my heart. But oh my god, I love it. <laughs> Same, like I I hated everything about it, and I was like, why am I watching this? Absolute like this is track. Why am I watching it? I am too good for this show, and yet I watched it because I in my in my mind it was like, and I I think it was also. Um, that it was before the age where we had you know like tumblr and yeah and instagram and just you know like a lot more outlets and venues for our um celebrity i don't want to call it stalking but celebrity (laughs) finding stuff out about them fascination fascination thank you that's so much better than stalking yes our celebrity fascination um where this guy is just putting it all out there. You know, you don't have to go like hunt down details about this dude because he's just happily putting on a show for you about pretending to want to find love. And it's like, I really care about this girl. And so I'm going to take her to this room and maybe take off my bandana for her. <laughs> I don't know. And 
you know, the fact that he was always, always with the bandana and the hat. It's like, we, we got it, right, Michaels. Just shave your head. It'll be easier for everybody. You know, like the the very awful makeup, like the, the penciled in every facial hair. Mm-hmm. And it was like this very garish, cartoonish thing that he was a full participant in. And that he seemed to be really invested in maintaining the solution. So I'm like, okay, fine, entertain me. Cause it's, 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 I, I don't know. Like, I just really want to watch what's going on. I don't know why I'm so into this, but I am. And I guess he didn't really want to do it at first. He didn't really want to do a lot of this. Really? Yeah. It was kind of something I believe when I was, I was reading up on that, like when I was watching it for the third or whatever time it was. And I was reading trivia and it was something like that. Like he was like, no one's going to want to watch this. Why Why would I do this? And then it became a big success and they wanted him to continue it. And he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, you can only, you can only take so, much, so many antibiotics. Oh my gosh. It's true though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know. It's probably like- <laughs> There's only so much, so many people I can fuck on this. <laughs> no, I think he wanted to rehab his image a little bit. He's like, I want to be more of a family man because then he did the show right after that with his longtime girlfriend that he was still involved in when he did Blog of oh Love, who's the mother of his children. And so he wow. went and did this whole show where it was like she, you know, it was like more like the family side of him. And she was like, you know, you know, like you would see her talking to her friends. This was they lived in Arizona, and she would talk to her friends and talk about how, you know, I know he did that show, and I know he slept with all these women, and I know he can't commit to me. And so the whole big thing was, is he going to propose to her at the end of the show? And I can't, mm-hmm. remember, I think he did or something. They're not together anymore. But I mean, I'm like, run away from him. You seem to actually have a I know, head seriously. on your shoulders, so go away. <laughs> But, but you know, the interesting part about that was seeing him as a dad. So it was a little bit different. Um, and who knows how. I mean, he seems to really love his children. I'm not going to say anything about that because they're his children. And that's often yeah. it's kind of in my mind. But even in Rock of Love, they would try to bring that in where you would talk about, you know, what or the biggest thing they tried to do. And I'm not putting down that he has that he has diabetes at all. I'm not saying that. But they would bring that into Rock of Love and it would always get kind of. You know, like the music would get more serious. You'd always hear every rose has its thorn constantly. Whenever it was those moments, it would always be that song or one of his slower ballad type songs. And he would get really serious about it. And I'm not saying it's not a serious disease because he has diabetes, type 1 diabetes. I'm just saying the way they used it and manipulated it to make him seem like a deeper person because he has diabetes. Right. (laughs) Right. Look, I'm sorry, but. It doesn't necessarily give you a, a, a doesn't give you a personality like this. Um, diabetes is not a personality trait. Like it's 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 just not. You can be awful. You can be boring. You can be <laughs> I don't know, like the best person ever and have diabetes. Like that has no bearing. On, I know on anything else. I know it's like okay. <laughs> But they would. They'd always make that out to be like, this is why Brett is actually a deeper person because he has diabetes. Right. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, that, that's like on, on American Idol when like, you know, a, a contestant has like a tragic backstory. Oh. And so every single time that Ryan Seacrest brings them out, it's like, remember when your dad died? 
talk about that. Remember, your dad died. Right. You just gave a stunning performance. What would your dad have thought about? <laughs> That's true. Oh my god. Yeah, we are messed up as us. But like. That's exactly the same thing. It's just exploiting something that is re- more relatable than the person themselves actually might be. And Brett Michaels, I mean, he's a famous dude who won't take off his bandana and who is banging a lot of hot chicks. Um, how can people relate to him? <laughs> you know, like, um, he has diabetes. Let's go with that. <laughs> People will connect on a deep, deep, profound level. (laughs) Play a ballad and talk about his diabetes and suddenly people will feel for him. And his bandana, (laughs) which he does have a TikTok where he talks about the bandana and how to get the perfect bandana on. I am I am not lying. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Listen, Aaron, no matter what you do, and I know you're trying, you will not get me on Brett Michaels TikTok. (laughs) I will not subscribe to him and look at all of his TikToks. I'm not going into that algorithm with you. No, it's not. You're on your own. I'm like, I'll just watch a bunch of other ones to get me out of that algorithm. So, yes, yes, but yeah, so there we go. Rock of Love. We'll do a whole episode. Some- no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do a whole episode of Rock of Love. It's not happening. <laughs> Maybe in 2030. For your birthday. Yeah, for my birthday month. <laughs> Things that Aaron is into. Let's talk about Rock of Love for an hour. <laughs> okay, well, were there any other celeb- of the celebrity shows that you liked, Carla? No. <laughs> Just matter of factly. No. The celebrity shows, not really. I mean, I will shout out a, a couple that I think are just um because okay, so New York from Flavor of Love, mm-hmm. Tiffany, who ended up having her own series, she is like a major cultural touchstone, I think. Um, in particular for for black ce- black celebrities that aren't celebrities for a reason other than being on a reality show mm-hmm. and her her memes and gifs are still super popular and constantly used to this day and like this is something that like goes back like how many years ago was the the tiffany one like flavor of love was uh 2006 through through 2008 so you're talking 15 years Mm-hmm. or or yeah or thereabouts so she she made a huge impact and people really liked her because she was just so funny and just said them like the wildest things and just her reactions her face her face was so expressive like th- that beyonce one like that everybody still uses but she's like beyonce <laughs> it's it, you know it's, it's it's a classic moment so um i i think that that's it's it's a big deal because it's a black woman given being given the the spotlight not necessarily for the best of reasons i'll say but i i think that even in all of her reality tv show created splendor was very watchable yeah, yeah, and that was like 2007. I was like 2007 to 2009 is when some first stuff aired. So, yeah. Uh, well, and it started on the WB, but I liked The Surreal Life. I did. I really did. 
I was rewatching it. Uh, you can't watch season two. They don't have season two. And I don't know if that's because season two had Ron Jeremy on it. And I don't know if they pulled it because of the accusations against him. So I don't know if that's why or not. But the first season, <laughs> the first season has um, Gabrielle Carteris, MC Hammer, Corey Feldman, Emmanuel Lewis, Jerry Manthe, who was like a, like she was on Survivor. I never watched Survivor. Uh, Vince Neal and uh, Brandy Roderick. And I was rewatching this one and oh my gosh, Corey Feldman is annoying as hell in this. And he gets into this conversation with Gabrielle Carteris, who she's, you know, he's talking about how he's a vegetarian or he's vegan or something. And she's like, well, you're wearing leather. And he's like, that has nothing to do with this. And she's like, well, you're talking about the cruelty to the animals. It's the same thing. And he just got really, you know, just awful. Uh, but that was really interesting, and especially um, what I loved about that first season was um, MC Hammer and Emmanuel Lewis's friendship was, like, the most beautiful thing. It was really sweet. It was just, like, kind of, like – I think I did watch yeah. this show because a lot of this sounding familiar. Yeah, and, and I actually liked Vince Neil a lot in it, too. And, um, yeah, it was just – yeah, they went like. Wasn't there a season with Vanilla Ice in it? Yes, there was. Or, that was the that okay. was actually the second season, and the second okay. season um, had uh, actually had also had Tammy Faye Mesner mm-hmm. at the time, and that that was actually when I that was the season that changed my views on Tammy Faye because I had always thought mm-hmm. of her as just this hardcore Christian, and she she was she was very 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 much into her faith. But in a different way because she she embraced like um, the LGBTQIA plus community a lot. She really did, and that's what you really saw on this season was that and that surprise, like her housemates, of course, and all of that. Especially mm-hmm. because she's rooming with a porn star, uh, Ron Jeremy. Right. So it's like, which of course they did that on purpose. Duh. Uh, of course, you know, yeah. Cause a bunch of that, but yeah. But I was when I was rewatching this. Okay, I was. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The stuff that they would do, it's the same thing as with watching rewatching the I Love the. It was like really disturbing. The amount of sexism, racism, homophobia. Um, also on the third fourth season, uh Vern Troyer is on there. So also a lot of um, you know, a lot of phobia against that and the way that any kind of disability was treated and handled in there. I mean, there's a whole thing of like, they had a special room, a room that was designed for him where, you know, where it was stuff that he could reach and stuff, you know, and everything. And, um, uh, what was her name? China, who was a wrestler and everything was on there and she instantly took that room and it was supposed, it was kind of like a joking thing, but you knew Mm -hmm. it wasn't for her and when he got right. there and was so upset and was like, no, I, he didn't even want to do the show. And he's like, no, that's my room. I need to have that. You don't understand. The lack of awareness and sim- any kind of empathy for that towards him was so disturbing. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can watch this because it was just kind of just icky. And a lot of it was that yeah. way. I, I, and then season five was where I kind of was like, because I kept watching, watching. I'm like, why am I still watching this? And this one was really bad because they had uh, Bronson Pinchot on there and Janice Dickinson was on there and Omarosa and 
Sandy Peppa Denton was on there and and um, Caprice, who was like some model, and then Jose Canseco, who, mm. you know, he <laughs> assaulted, assault and battery of like his, and, and yeah. my sister actually was watching this, she's like, they had this person on the show? I'm like, I know, this was like 2005. And the other disturbing part was Bronson Pinchot is like sitting there like, basically like massaging Janice Dickinson and I'm not I don't like Janice Dickinson but she had every right to get upset about it because he was his hands were all over and he's like I wasn't doing anything wrong and the way the show presented it was like he wasn't doing anything wrong and so it was so disturbing to go back and watch this stuff and see all this casual assault and all this wanting to rehabilitate an abuser I'm like what the right oh like what is going it was just like okay i that just kind of did me in i was like that's not okay and having like certain people be like well you know people do things and maybe he's a better person now and even the women eventually because at first the women were like i don't know if i want to have this person in a house with me right exactly exactly and the thing is like Okay, yes, you're living in this house with this person for a period of time and people do just have to kind of let their guard down because you're in the situation. But you know that he was on his best behavior. Mm-hmm. You know that he's out there on a in an image rehab tour. It has nothing to do with him actually being a good person. And you're putting people at risk by taking the chance of putting him on there. It's just like disgusting. Just, you know using people for um to get views on a tv show like that's just so scummy yeah it's totally done for that totally for that reason they totally wanted to see some kind of conflict and they would always put people together that they were like oh these people aren't going to get along and these you know it's the same thing that they would do with the real world it's the same kind of thing but with celebrities and they're like just see how many people we can get to have conflicts, you know, because putting Tammy Faye in a house where people are going to assume she's going to judge everybody. And yes, she was uncomfortable living with a porn star, but a lot of people also learned, oh, wait, she like totally embraces um, drag queens that dress like her. She totally loves it. She's fine with all of that. You know, like she famously was like, and they didn't want her to do this, but she had on um, a man who had AIDS back when nobody would talk to him on her show. And she got lambasted for that. But so a lot of people mm-hmm. I don't think knew that about her because of who she was married to was scum. And a lot of those people were scum that she was around. But she actually would call out a lot of that. So, But, yeah. of course, they were just trying to cause problems and issues. But some of that stuff I would watch, like the the Vern Troyer thing really disturbed me greatly because I was like, this is disgusting. Just, and, 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 you know, China was like, well, why don't I just keep my stuff in there? And he's like, no. But he was painted right. to be the bad guy because, and difficult because he was like, no, this is, you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, I think that's part of it too, is the, framing it so that you're sympathizing with the the person who is objectively in the wrong Mm -hmm. you know but these are probably the same people who yell about cancel culture and about snowflakes and stuff like that it's it's um setting up people to get hurt and then pointing their your finger and laughing at them for acting hurt Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, and it happened over and over again in that season with him because he wouldn't participate mm. in certain things because it was hard for him. And you could tell he wanted to, and and he just – he couldn't. And so – but it was framed in this, oh, he's difficult <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I think it's just, you know – and and they would put him in these situations, the show would, that they knew – would be difficult and they knew would be hard or they knew where they would make him, they would try to make him look like the bad person. But when you watch it, all these other people actually came off like the real assholes. But, but yeah, so I did watch that one. (laughs) I have to say I was into that one when it was on, but rewatching it was kind of painful. It's kind of like, you know, rewatching some of the real world, which someday we will have to cover that show because that was big. I will say the first season, though, when you watch that first season, it's like, wow, this show turned into a trash heap because this first season is really not that bad. Yes. Yes. No, the the first season was great, but everything else that came after it was just. A couple of the other seasons are like, I think the London season, which everyone doesn't like because it's boring, because I actually think that one's good because everybody (laughs) kind of gets along, so they don't like that one. And, um, but. I think what's really good with the real world, what they're doing now, sorry, I know this is a tangent, but um, is they're having those real world reunion things where they're in the present day. And the one they did for um, for the New York cast and then also for the second season for L.A. And then the one most recently that they did for the New Orleans cast is actually fantastic. Um, mm. Actually, it's really great. And the New York one is just amazing and um becky who was in that one she's like the typical white liberal who gets very upset when she has to be confronted with she like leaves because she can't handle she can't handle having a real conversation with kevin about things so it's like you know about any kind of racism or anything like that she gets very upset and leaves uh, but it, but it's very interesting watching. It actually is really good. It's not uh, salacious, I don't think. Um, but especially that one, and then the New Orleans one is fantastic. That one is really really good. And you have another person that's also disgusting on there. But for the most part, the mm-hmm. others you're kind of are, are learning and growing, and you see that how people learn and and grew and learn from each other and stuff. So it's it's really really interesting. Anyway, I know that's a tangent, but just letting you know. <laughs> Go check that out. For my edification. <laughs> okay, well, I did do a Six Degrees of Finn Wittrock. And because I love Michael Ian Black, I decided to use Michael Ian Black. So Michael Ian Black was in Wet Hot American Summer, as we've already said, uh, with Bradley Cooper. And Bradley Cooper was in American Hustle with our unofficial mascot, Christian Effing Bale, who, of course, was in the big short with Finn. So I just like using that one when I can because it connects our two mascots together as one. (laughs) (laughs) And And don't forget, coming up in January, it's Christian effing Bale Month featuring Carla and Christian. (laughs) Christian will be there, of course. (laughs) He is getting, he is um, camping out on my couch he is uh, putting in his Instacart orders for marshmallows. <laughs> He's be excited about this. And if you don't understand this, if you're a new listener, I know we've had some new listeners. If you're a new listener and you don't understand this, go back and listen to our Christian Effing Bale episodes from earlier this year. Or better yet, even go back and listen to when we first 
introduced Christian effing Bale to this podcast, introduced to this podcast. But <laughs> when Christian became a part of this podcast, which was actually in our girlfriend's episode with Carla and I, we did a whole thing about Christian and then we did the American Psycho episode. So go listen to those. You can hear, quote unquote, Christian. I do want to make it clear if people don't know, this isn't the actual Christian Bale. <laughs> we don't actually, we will eventually know Christian very well, but we don't know Christian at this moment in time. No. But this is Carla's amazing Christian Bale impression. And she, spot yes, on, by and the way. And she prints out a, picture of Christian Bale <laughs> and it is the best go back and watch some of our videos and I'm sure uh, the Walgreens employees are again going to be like why are you getting this <laughs> picture they're trembling in fear <laughs> no Brenda you printed I don't want to get in trouble for this Zach it's your turn to print out the Christian Bale oh we'll do rock paper scissors for it okay oh i guess <laughs> and and i'm planning on trying to hopefully if and i know carla i can usually counter for this because of the fact with the christian bale stuff i think it's a lot better in person so like being able to see it visually so i'm hoping we can do most of these as live streams as well because it's just so much more fun plus i can't wait to see the Christian that appears. I'm assuming it's going to be a different picture, <laughs> but we'll see. I love that picture. And we will also be doing special coverage of the pale blue eye. I decided not to change the schedule of movies we're doing because I kind of liked what we had. And some of them are ones that people voted on. So I don't want to take that away. So just to let you know, as a heads up, what we're going to be covering is we're going to be talking about Empire of the Sun because how could I not have done that the first <laughs> time? I mean, honestly, Aaron. I know. And then we're going to talk about the movie. I know, Christian, that you do not like this movie. I know you did not want to do a musical. I know you even said, maybe if, maybe I'll just won't come in on the days they're singing and everybody else will sing. <laughs> <laughs> Newsies. We are going to talk about Newsies that did win the poll. Not surprised. And then we're going to be talking about um, the two movies that he's done with Adam McKay, and that's The Big Short, which is a fantastic film. And then we're also going to be talking about Vice, which I have mixed feelings on Vice, but... <laughs> Same. We will talk about those mixed feelings. In January. So join us in January. Yes. And yes. like I said, we'll also be doing a special one about The Pale Blue Eye, which looks absolutely fantastic. And that's um, about Edgar Allan Poe is about that, too, about... It's He doesn't play Edgar Allan Poe, by the way, but it does involve that as well. That's on Netflix. And then we will also be doing a special Christian Bale birthday trivia night. So that'll be for Woo! his birthday. And Christian, quote unquote Christian, will be there, I'm sure, to participate in this trivia night. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, always yes, And eventually we will get Christian on here. This is my big bucket list item is to interview Christian Bale. I, I'm going to make it happen somehow. I'm going to get on that publicist list. Yes. It will happen eventually. I will eventually be able to interview Christian Bale and it'll be fantastic. Because <laughs> yes. Yes, I love that man will. so damn much. So I'm really looking forward to January. So anyway, okay, we'll go ahead and close out. Yes, we're done. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, was there something else I was supposed to do? No. Uh, I'm like, all of a sudden we're talking about Christian Bale. I'm like in a totally different mind. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, yes, I get to be all about Christian Bale soon. Um, <laughs> just two and a half weeks. I know. Or three weeks. I know. Just a few weeks. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Carla, where can they find you? And most importantly, where where can they find Bedwetter Behead? Where I was on there doing a Christian Bale episode. That's right. Yes, you can go back and listen to our Bedwetter Behead podcast episode about three Christian Bale characters um, in which Erin was a very happy participant. She also was on our Horror Hunks episode, which is a hoot. And you can find those wherever you get podcasts. You can look for our, currently we're on Twitter at bedwetbeheadpod, on Instagram at bed.wet.beheadpod. Uh, we have a website, bedwetterbehead, uh, yeah, bedwetbeheadpod. And you can look for me and my art and my musings on Instagram right now. Uh, well, not just right now, probably for the foreseeable future at Carla Temis. And um, I'm on uh where else am i who am i why am i <laughs> you, you can look for my pod for, for my website <laughs> <laughs> my website carlatemis.com c-a-r-l-a-t-e-m-i-s.com <laughs> where am i awesome thank you and this is Aaron. you can still right now follow me on twitter at e april beauty the e and the a and the b are capitalized be sure to like the show on facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, I know that you love VH1, Christian. So reach out to us <laughs> at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com or head on over to our website, It's a Fandom Thing Pod.com. Click the contact us button. That'll shoot us an email. I'm trying to schedule interviews for the new year. Can't do anything for December. But, you know, come on in January, Christian. She will make an exception for you, Christian. Oh, I would. Yes, I would. I, I, she I will, will drop everything. everything for you, Christian. Yes. <laughs> I've made this very clear. Any episode I have scheduled, anything will be dropped for you, Christian. You are number one <laughs> on this podcast. Yes. So <laughs> you're our unofficial mascot. So I would drop everything for you. I would drop Finn Whitrock for you. I will drop all these other people. <laughs> Love you, Finn. Uh, but you can understand. But you know Christian. You understand. I've seen that picture of you looking at Christian Bale like I would look at Christian Bale if I were to see Christian Bale. So, hey. <laughs> you, he gets you it. get it. It's fine. You get it. So, yes. So, please do that. So, and on our next episode, which we've already recorded, we are talking about the amazing, great, wonderful, awesome Brendan Fraser. So look for that one dropping on Friday. And then also a quick reminder that you have until December 16th. If you are want to share any memories of Twitter, um, you know, all the changes that are happening there, we're doing a special Twitter episode. So if you have any special memories, uh, any feedback you want to give, um, you can do it over DM and it can be private. If you don't want it to be private and you want to record your voice, that's fine too. Just DM the show on any of our social media platforms. Probably TikTok is probably the worst way to because sometimes I don't know that I have a DM and sometimes I do. So, <laughs> but you know, the other ways are great too. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and stop Asian hate.